Okay. All right. And I see that Jackie has joined the group. So we will go ahead and begin the meeting. I'll turn it over to Jackie to start. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the August Parks and Rec meeting. Um, for our call to order, uh, is there anything, Roger, that you need to say for the city? You're getting used to the old uh, one, two, Jackie. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you, uh, Chair Becker. Uh, good evening, everyone. I'm Roger Steinbrock, uh, and I'll be the MC for this evening's meeting. I have a few housekeeping items for the for tonight's meeting. Uh, please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you're not speaking. The chat function for the public meeting is disabled. All chats will come directly to you. <laughs> Unless you're participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active uh, meeting participants to be seen on the screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn on your video. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat and we'll get that rectified for you. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Chair Jackie Decker. Thank you, Roger. <clears throat> All right. And as always, we start our meeting off with needing to confirm our minutes from the past month. So I would ask everyone to take a look at last month's minutes and I'll be looking for an approval of those minutes. This is Amber Nickel, board member, and I will make a motion to approve the minutes. All right, I see a first from Amber and a second from John. All those in favor, will you raise your hand? Or for those on Zoom, can you please say aye if you are not connecting? Oh, there's Andrea. Okay. <laughs> all right. I see all in favor. And that means minutes are approved. All right. Moving on to our next section, it is public comment. And I believe we do have one member of our community looking to speak. Amber, I think that's for one of the items. The oh, we're going to put dot with that one. Okay, got it. I wasn't sure. All right. Other than that, we don't have anybody in the room or on Zoom uh, for public comment. Okay. Well, that makes that easy. That then moves us on to our agenda items which number one is the accessibility to parking lots and park amenities. And I believe we would like to have Dot Neri. I think Derek will open them and then we'll bring it okay. up. Okay. So, perfect. Okay. 
I understand that there were problems with the flash pad concrete that had to be addressed. Why was the problem? Parking lot accessibility not given the same importance. During the CIP budgeting process for the construction of the splash pad, there wasn't money included for the parking lot and entrance when it was initially bid. That's prior to us, I believe, discovering that there was an entrance problem. That splash pad took over two years from start to finish. That sound about right, Mark? Yes. When we started this project, um, it's taken a while. Does the city of Lawrence need to institute procedures to bar any facility from being open to reopen to comply with federal civil rights laws? Consulting with staff, and I did talk to PDS, Planning Development Services. I've talked to the ADA coordinator. Um, the work Kevin has been developing the transition plans. We as a city are trying to become better. Um, much better thing that draft modifications like comes available, and we have been creating the list. So I, I'm not sure it's really a policy item as something that should have been addressed sooner. Talking to planning development services and others in the city that do projects. Um, overall, our goal as a department is all and a city is to provide inclusiveness for all. Our mission with our strategic plan being we want to create a community where all enjoy life, build a home. Um, I'm truly sorry if we failed to address this ADA barrier as a city. It probably should have been addressed by back in 2010, if not before then. Uh, we'll continue to work on improving the future, and we want to be a vibrant community uh, that's innovative, equitable, transparent, and responsible local government. With that, Marty, is there anything you want to add from the project piece? No, I mean, basically with ADA, when we find a known hazard, we work to correct the hazard. This wasn't on the transition plan for ADA. So it, it literally got called out when the Livewell Lawrence started looking at accessible parking for the trail system. So that was identified earlier this year. So when, when we look at ADA, we think about if you're in the parking lot, how do you get to the feature? We hadn't really thought about how does the van drag the home going into the parking lot. So yeah. um, I feel like we're good when you're in the parking lot, you can get to the restroom, playground, and the spray park. But we didn't look at was the scraping of the van going into the parking lot. So that's the deficiency that got identified with the Livewell Lawrence group looking at our system there. And they're actually looking at access from that parking lot up to the trail system, not the system that's in that park. With that, does it go back to the advisory board for questions for public comment? Well, I think, well, I mean, in terms of this agenda item, yeah, she back. brought it to our attention side letters. Okay, I don't get addressed by Dr. Neri that often. So exciting. Um, first of all, um, I'm a big fan of Parks and Rec. I think it's one of the great things about living in Lawrence. And I'm not casting blame here. I think this happened because the property was purchased and it was developed gradually. Um, and I think that kind of made it made it difficult. Um, I've been concerned because I haven't been able to use that lot to access the um, trail. And um, I'm, I just wonder if a way to keep this hap from happening again, and I don't think it will because I think um, LPRD is really committed to access, but I wonder if I could suggest that the um, access codes 
be given the same weight as plumbing and electric electrical codes. So in other words, until it meet codes, meets code, nobody uses it and it won't be open. So it just might be an additional check. I also think that we've got a dedicated um, ADA person now in Evan. We haven't had that before. So I think there's more um, capacity to address barriers, but that was what I wanted to say that could we look at access with the same um, importance as electricity and plumbing uh, or, or other codes and that might um, prevent this from happening again. But I view um, Parks and Rec as, a, as an ally and I think you do great work. And again, um, that, that's one of the good things about living in Lawrence. So I just wanted to make sure you knew that. Thank you, Dot, for sharing that with us. Um, so in terms of Parks and Rec, uh, questions for anyone from the board? Yeah, John. Yeah, Jackie, this is John Blazik from the board, and, and this is directed to Derek, I guess. Uh, and I appreciate the explanation because after we got an email, I went down and looked at it, and I know the park has been there for some time, and then the splash pad. And I heard you say something, Derek, about an ADA person I'm just, I, I'm really lost on why we would put a park in. I've only opened three schools as a principal and we met every Monday. Are we meeting liability? Are we meeting ADA? How could that bypass? It seems like we're extremely reactive on something like this instead of planning in advance, being proactive with staff. And as many people that are being paid by the city, how could that be bypassed? Because I appreciate the email dot. Thank you. And Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. When the property was donated or purchased by the city to the city, there was two mortar buildings there. And one got torn down. The second one was torn down around 2015, had mold in it. It's on the uh, west side. Part of the playground probably went in there. <clears throat> What, 17, 16? Recall or I don't recall. But, um, so that was, there was a lot of improvements over time. So, really, when it was taken on as the property of the city, as a parking lot to that trail section of Burroughs Creek Trail, the project had been looked at then back in 10, I believe, 2010 or 2007. We didn't have an ADA coordinator. It was part of a, somebody else's job within, in this, well, public works at the time. It was, I mean, she had several different jobs. So, so we did have one back right. But now we have a dedicated, that's yeah. not since. So now I think we've had Evan since about 2018, maybe. They've been with the city of Porta, and the settlement's an ADA coordinator. And I guess I understand that. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Gary. I just, I don't have a great answer. I think it was missed by a lot of people over time. And so once again, I mean, it, it was, and I struggle buying that. ADA and liability is number one every Monday. You should be thinking about that for people in your community members. So I was, thank you for that, bringing that attention to us. That's something the community in the city needs to get better at. Thank you.
Well, thank you for the opportunity to bring that up and thanks for your response. And, and again, um, I think it was an oversight. No one expects to see a, a bump like that at, a, at the entrance. So, um, but I just think maybe looking at ADA um, guidelines the same way we do as other codes might be a solution in the future. So thank you. Thanks, Dot. So what is the possibility when it comes to parks and rec and codes? Is that stuff that has to go through city commission or city management and planning in regards to cons having consideration for ADA as equitable as plumbing and things like that? Mark Eckert, assistant director. So all of our projects now are going through a site plan review process. So everything's submitted and looked at in the normal um, planning process, just like any building would be. So in that process, this wasn't identified as an issue. So again, you know, they looked at the, the splash pad, the parking lot, did we have the right number of stalls? Was everything at the right slope? Were the sidewalks at the correct slope? They looked at the project itself, but they didn't look at access to the project. So I think it was an oversight. And like I said, that Dot was honestly the one that pointed it out. Once it's pointed out, it's not an obvious thing that could be fixed. So. You know, we're not perfect. I think we do a pretty darn good job on, on nearly everything. They're trying to predict, hey, that's going to be a problem. Let's fix that before we even start. So this, this to me, is one that we can easily fix. We just need to basically have time to get it and a contractor to get it done. So the, the only thing I would like to add is that that lot was open before there was accessible parking installed. So I went to use the lot last October and there was no place, even though I got in and I scraped the bottom of the van, I don't think there was a place for me to park. I don't think there was accessible parking then. So I'm just asking that when anything is opened, all the criteria met for access. This is Marilyn Hall, board member. So on the site review, can um, accessibility be specifically um, added that in not only accessibility within the site, but accessibility to the site. And I want to speak for planning, but that's part of their criteria looking at all site plans. So, you know, they're looking at everything from elevation of pad is it above the floodplain? What's the slopes on all the sidewalks? Are there enough stalls? What's the slope of the parking lot? So, I, I think they have a pretty wide range of things they're checking on. This, for some reason, didn't get flagged either at the design phase or at the plan review phase. Uh, this is John Mulvaney, board member. So this issue um, obviously goes beyond parts, parts of REC. And so um, the issue is, has it, has it, has this incident had a systemic impact on, on the review process? And you seem to be saying yes. It's brought our attention to it and uh, the review process, which goes way beyond parts of our is uh, sensitive to it. And I assume the ADA coordinator is really the front person on this as well and has been involved. That's correct. Okay. Any additional questions, comments? I will provide a comment that I did get from the uh, director of PDS. Um, 
this comment was site plans rarely contain design construction details like construction documents do. But we do put them through review by plan development services, municipal services, and others. All site plans are required by code to provide a note on the drawing stating that it's been designed to comply with the provisions of the American Disabilities Act, accessibility guidelines for buildings and facilities. Appendix A to 28 CFR Part 36. We checked with the PDS staff. Parking lot was existing and had to be maintained, but, re but restriped. So it was not included in the re review of this life. And that's probably where they missed it. I think that's part of the problem that we're building the cracks. I think of PDS, my opinion. Anyway, um, I'm not going to throw them under the bucket. There was multiple organizations within the city that should have caught that. And uh, we'll continue to have the conversations on code with our staff and EPS. Thanks, Derek. Any other comments or thoughts? Thank you again, Dot, for uh, enlightening us and, and definitely letting us know about a, a huge error in, in you know, accessibility and uh, Let's work to get that fixed right away. So Thank thanks. You. Thanks for your time. Thanks, All right, moving on to agenda item two. It's the 2023 budget update, Prairie Park. I'll let, okay. I believe, Mark take the lead or Derek take the lead, whoever it is. I'll start on this one and uh, it'll probably be tight uh, with Lindsay. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I think what you'll see is out there on the uh, city commission agenda uh, meeting notes for tomorrow night's meeting. Um, I'll just read the executive summary. What they're doing is in the city manager's report, they'll put a little bit out about it. And then on the August 23rd meeting, they'll actually vote on a, a plan B. So what, what they did is they heard the feedback on the nature center and on the Humane Society. And city manager took that information back, city director did other ways of doing things, and said, what would be a plan B to the existing budget that he presented to meet the requirements um, and keep the nature center going and uh, Provide funding, some funding to the main site. So I'll read the executive summary that's going to be on tomorrow night's C Major's report. <clears throat> 2023 C Major's recommended budget. The 2023 to 27 CIP was presented to the State Commission on July 12th. Included in the recommendation was an average of $337,000 generated for the closure of Prairie Park Nature Center. And another hundred thousand dollars actually from the police budget for contracted animal control services. In response to the feedback received from the city commission, staff has identified alternative recommendations for the 23 budget so that Prairie Park Nature Center can remain open and some funding from the society can be restored. In addition, revenues and expenditures have been identified since July 12 to require adjustments to the recommended budget but not impact the current deficit in the general fund. These changes will all be incorporated in the presentation of the budget hearing and revenue neutral rate hearing on August 23rd. So, 
uh, curry cartridge is safe and won't be mentioned, and so we're good there. Um, at the same time, the department uh, is still responsible for the revenues. Um, so set 1.2 million, then looking at 1.3 million in the 2023 budget. Um, we did meet with the Great Carter Nature Center folks and same management with, with them as staff. We talked about um, priority-based budgeting and how that could be changed and things they could do to look at the key performance indicators to uh, potentially change the rating from a tier four program to say a tier three program, um, which is great. And that could get more insulation in case as we, we love environmental education and the community likes nature center, obviously. So we've got that going. There's also a lot of synergy surrounding Prairie Park Nature Center and our goals uh, have an open house and also meeting out there the other day was uh, Lindsay and Annette Dagan. And um, I think we have some folks on the advisory board that might be involved on an open forum and brainstorm with the public on ways that we can increase revenues and look at uh, the services we provide on that agency. Um, but we need to come up with something that is financially, structurally sound in the long term for that program. Um, I believe. The cost recovery pyramid that was approved by the advisory board and the city commission, a supervised staff facility should recover 25%. The pandemic was a very difficult time. All of the budget revenues across the divisions were lower. I believe in 21, that was roughly 10 11 11% was what the nature center brought in revenues. So that we need to focus on getting increase for the 2022 budget, they're looking at an 85% subsidy. Um, so we need to work on changing those numbers. With that, I'll pass to uh, Lindsay on Prairie Park. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Derek covered most of it, but obviously we had a, a great response from the uh, city commission meeting and, and a lot of the public turned out in support. So we definitely want to continue that momentum. And like Derek said, I think our next step is going to be planning an open house. And uh, we want to bring members of the public out and meet with staff. And we want to talk about, uh, you know, what what are they looking for? What do they want to continue to see? And, uh, you know, we'll do some surveys and talk through um, changes that we're seeing on our end. And obviously that's going to come with fee increases and uh, possibly changes to the hours or uh, availability of programming and things like that. And uh, so, you know, we definitely want this to be a, uh, a group effort with the community and and work together and and like I said really kind of take that momentum and the support that we already have and I think they've already brainstormed a lot of good ideas um, some ways we can really um, improve communication and and things that we're able to offer uh, to to keep it going so I really that's our first step is the open house and then you know we'll be looking at implementing um, some you know, changes to our fee structure and things like that to help support the nature center as well as our parks and rec you know programming in general it's it's definitely across the board it's not they're not alone it's not just the nature center um it's definitely going to be it's going to take all of us and all of our programming uh to get to get to this 1.3 revenue million revenue increase for next year 
Marketing or assistant director, I might add a little bit of the big picture on the budget. So our total general fund budget is about $18.8 million of that, and about 6.3% is revenue. So as Lindsay said, we're moving the revenue target up pretty high, so we're increasing it basically 30% over what we were budgeted this year. So that's going to impact across the entire department to gain that extra amount of revenue. So expenses have gone up, revenue's gone up. But what the good thing about this is our tax support, if, if we pull these numbers off, our cost recovery will be better than we were budgeted at this year. This year, we are budgeted a 74% cost recovery total department. If these numbers happen, we'll be at 66% cost recovery. So that's the tax support versus the fee support. So it's moving us in the right direction if we can pull it off. But of course, raising fees 30%, where, everywhere, some places, not places, that'll be the challenging part for staff. And trying to accomplish these numbers is going to be a pretty big challenge, I think. This is John Albanian, board member. Um, if we if we look at this a little more broadly, uh, maybe we can think about uh, looking for potential partners to sponsor uh, or work on Prairie Park, uh, the Nature Center, and I'm thinking very radically here. Uh, so what about K-State? Would K-State Extension Service or would K-State itself have any interest in, uh, in co-owning, co co-sponsoring? I mean, that, why does it have to be just Parks and Rec? I mean, it could be, I don't know, maybe the pet stores. <laughs> in tech, I don't know. But we need to find, I mean, we don't need, but I would try to find a way to solicit potential partners. That way, there's another revenue source there. Derek Rogers, Director of Parks and Recreation. I think there's going to be some great ideas that come out of the open house, sponsorship, step and whatever. I look at the, you know, they call this one house. What's our strength? What's our weaknesses? What are our opportunities? I won't talk about our threats. So let's work on our strengths, weaknesses, and opportunities. So can we increase revenue, revenues? Can we find a new source of revenue? So for example, the other night, we did an adult uh, pool night. So the demographic of the young kids leave at 5. We open up at 5.30. A whole new demographic of the community comes out to the pool. So there's a new revenue source that well exceeded the subsidy amount of the lifeguard fees. So there's opportunities. And so we're talking Prairie Park, they could host 5K runs. They could do sponsorships for the animals, sponsor an eagle, sponsor a parrot, pancake, I should say, sponsor a prairie dog. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there's cost recovery that, um, based on fees. And then there's, how do you reduce expenses? So if you can't get there with the fees, then how do you provide this? How do you keep what we do to the community what the community loves about parks and recreation? We have to continue to do free things led by the community. I don't want to be a department of the only one of money. Nobody likes that. And that's not a parks and rec that is traditional to this city. Um, there is equitability and accessibility. We must have ways that is equitable and accessible to the community. And this marginalized community is an economically challenged. But it also may mean that there may be some tier levels of service that need to come down. So, for example, if somebody isn't using the pool 
on certain days and we're not making the revenues like these restaurants downtown that are closed on certain days. We may have to balance our budget to meet that revenue expectation close on a day or two, which should increase revenues on these other times or maybe we can expand those times that the community wants. Sponsorships, um, I think the pet stores is a great opportunity where we could partner with maybe uh, a sponsor for the dog park camp or nature center. Oh, sure. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Here for it. There is opportunity. Um, Before we go further, I want to turn it back over to Jackie because yeah. we did have a question from the I just wanted to make sure that we get it back to you, Jackie, to open it up and make sure there's no other staff comment so you can open it up for questions. All right. Uh, Jackie Becker, Chair, are there any questions or comments right now as we've got a lot of ideas out there? Jackie, John, John Blasek, committee member. You know, John, I think you had a really good point looking for sponsorships and things like that. Don't forget, people, you have a marketing director in the recreation. And I've been on it six years and I've listened to sponsorship meetings and committees. Maybe that person could maybe look for some sponsorships besides the Nature Center just trying to offset because I heard Mark just talk about 30%. If we can pull it off, pull it off. I'm sorry, that's kind of an approach toward the community members to just raise everything, stick it to the taxpayers. And I don't think that's our responsibility to try to take care of your budget issues, guys. I mean, there's some ideas out there, but you're, it's easy to just start raising everything and not think of our taxpayers. And, and go ahead, Derek. I was just gonna say, there's two models here, and with the way the budget was presented, that it was the goal of the city commission was keep the levy flat or return or lower the levy rate. So within the parameters of this budget, it falls back on how do we cut expenses or the user pays. So it's falling less to a taxpayer model, but it's a user model. Uh, looking back at it, we haven't, for quite a few of our programs, we haven't raised rates since before 2019. Yet, there's a lot of things that happened, and so we were going to have some rate raised in fall of 19, early 20, pandemic hit. We put that on hold for the community, focused on the health and wellness of the community. So now as we come out of the lockdowns with the impacts of limited access to our facilities, we need to get back. I, I totally agree with you, Derek, John Blazik, but I've also not heard something, you know, I asked you a couple, three weeks ago about your numbers, how many kids are participating. And one thing I know, when your numbers drop in participation, you probably have to make some staffing de deletions. Maybe you don't need all the employees you have and seven directors, but, you know, in a lot of businesses, when they start putting their numbers to the what they've had before COVID, after COVID, if your numbers are lower, why do you have that many employees? There's a lot of ways to cut that money, try to cut down your deficit. But for you guys, it just seems like every time I turn around, let's just raise the taxes for the community members. And that's what I'm here for. I'm on this committee for community members. And that's what I'm hearing right now. So I, I, I sometimes think you take the easy way out and that's just raise taxes. And I may be the only one that thinks that way, but we're all taxpayers. And I hope you have a good turnout at that open house. But I know when people call me, 
nobody knows you. Nobody knows your directors. They don't live here. So it'll be interesting to watch that dynamic. And I hope to do it. Assistant Director, if you don't mind, um, John, actually, I had numbers I was going to share tonight. So if you don't mind, um, I can just jump in and share those with you right now since it came up. Um, I did look at participation numbers over about the last four and a half years since we're obviously halfway through 22. Um, back in 2018, our annual participation numbers uh, were at 21,344. And then in 2019, it dropped a little bit down to 20,515. Uh, obviously, in 2020, it's dropped significantly down to about 7,800. Um, but we have actually been working our way back up. Um, last year in 21, we were at 13,654. But this year's numbers so far through July, we are at 11,200. And so uh, that's halfway through the year. If we you know, can possibly assume that we would double that, we could, we could get back to 22,000 for this year, which would actually be higher than 2018. So that was actually really good news uh, when I was able to run these numbers and just kind of see how we compare um, just kind of watching the, the dip through COVID and then coming back out of it. Uh, we actually feel pretty good with our participation numbers right now. And Ms. John Blazik, Lindsay, thank you so much for those numbers I called. I appreciate your accountability on that. And I hope the numbers come because in the school business, when I lose 50% of my student body, I have to eliminate staff. And I know that's not fun to do, Derek, and you're the director, but sometimes you have to look at the facts. So I hope your numbers come back, but I, I struggle when your numbers have dropped on participation and you want to still keep adding staff or bringing staff in or directors, sometimes you have to make some tough decisions on staffing, which will help your deficit. So thank you, Lindsay. That was greatly appreciated. What I thought the numbers would be like. So I hope they finish out strong. I have a question, Marilyn Hall, board member. I have a question that pertains to the budget in general, but not for park. Is it okay? Uh, my question, and I feel like a broken record, is who's going to manage these sponsorships? Yeah, we this gets tossed around a lot in this room and um, down at City Hall of just sponsorships and fundraising. Um, but, but as far as I know, you guys haven't designated a staff member or staff members who will have that as their job. And without that, it seems doomed to fail. So where are we on that? So prior to Kent picking up part of this, Roger has been doing sponsorships for a long time. And LMH is a great example of that. That is a, a big contract. Three years, two years. No, it was it for five and, years. Yeah. Five years. And we're working on Two year, two years now. Yeah. Before at SPL, they had sponsorships on the wall, which was driven by a program by a supervisor. She started it, I believe, and right. we took it over on the management of. So those are, are small, but they add up. So there's a big contract that is worth substantial dollars that's been managed in Roger's office. In talking with Prairie Park. I can go out and talk to some big company, Hosswash. I'll talk to the big company of Hosswash <laughs> and some other big companies that deal with pet food in Lawrence and see if I can't get one. But I need that staff to maintain those relationships because I won't always be here. 
and you won't always be here, and Mark won't be here, and Lindsay won't be here. What's, what do you mean by what staff needs to maintain those, the program staff? So like Sporting Pavilion Lawrence, if they've got 15 plaques that bring in $1,200, $1,500 plaque, they should have that relationship to manage those 15 sponsorships. That's just a new facility. That's I mean, Ron, yeah. our communications and marketing, or communication in a bit, sorry, get my new area different. Anyway, what, what Derek's talking about, and it's like the wall next to the gymnastics room that we've done uh, from my office has actually been tossed around again. It used to be in the recreation side, and he's talking about the building operations supervisor, which would be Taylor would be the one that would be responsible for that if that's the way we're moving. Um, and from conversation last meeting, Lindsay had mentioned that Kansas has been doing stuff as well. So that's, you know, we will be working together to kind of, you know, create a team of people. And when he talks about building staff, it would be like Marty, the, super, the, the nature center supervisor, that would be kind of help that relation. Now, from the marketing standpoint, there are things that I can do, and that's the newsletter and all of the collateral pieces that help. To, to foster that relationship. And of course, I would be involved in that too. Um, as you know, over the years, uh, I've kind of gotten bogged down with lots of different duties and wearing many hats. Now that I have a larger staff, I think that we can maybe expand some of that and help out with the marketing. What I'm trying to do is to get the events started with them and then I'll be able to move up a little bit and do more of that, you know, the 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 FaceTime and developing, cultivating those relationships and helping the staff do that as well. Um, it, to me, it just takes time. Um, so I, I would say, you know, this first year as my staff kind of gets their sea legs under them and, and I, you know, can operate with them and still continue to do other things. I just see, as, see it just growing that we have a lot of potential and I know, John, you'll say that potential doesn't yield things, but at the same time, I think that uh, fostering and development takes some, some time. And in, and in any relationship, it does take time to build those, those core things that are going to help us for the future and propel us to the future. And having additional time, from my standpoint, there are things I can do on the marketing side that have been somewhat dropped in, in certain respect because the focus, again, what's the most important thing uh, at the time that I'm doing them. So uh, I always look for my leadership from my director and kind of go from there and as needed. You know, I drop things and, and then move over here to do it. So, I, you know, I think it's, it's basically getting that staff and as we add in these other boards and things, trying to find that synergy and, and, and the work that we all can do and, and, and helping me to kind of give up some things, I think that will help as well. And Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director, Marilyn, to also jump in on that. I, I've been working with Kent and Annette, our two uh, recreation operation managers, and I hope to kind of help play a role in sticking with that and looking for more sponsorships and want to pursue more things. And now that we have some more staff in place, we feel like we can start having our supervisors like at SPL or the Nature Center reach out and do that. And I think together I can work with Roger and our managers and we can oversee this together. So again, we're kind of seeing how we can work together as Roger gets acclimated in his new role and, and his staff. And, and Marilyn, I would say another another segment of this that I can kind of show as a, as a as a guide is our rec track system. It's our enrollment management system that we use our database 
basically when Tim Laurent left, who was in charge of that whole system, I mean, there were little pieces here that knew a little bit, but there, he was the knowledge base. And so when he left, out went the knowledge with it. So what I, you know, I, I took it on as a challenge for me to kind of get that together. And so what we have is a team now from every, well, pretty much every building that's on here um, on the committee. And so we're building the knowledge base so that if any of these little people, I mean, if any of the, the people leave, we will still have the, the base of the brain, so to speak, so that it can continue functioning in, in a workable situation. So I, I think that team concept is something that I think we're embracing instead of just segmenting in and have to getting in silos, we're kind of dividing the work and looking at us as a, as a, as, as a team or a machine to get things done a little bit better. That's all great to hear. And I hope you'll consider accountabilities for staff sure. as well, that it's part of their performance evaluation to bring in sponsorships or whatever, because if it falls under other duties as assigned, we all know what happens to that stuff. I totally so understand. if we're making a culture change, I'd really encourage you guys on the management side to um, formalize it, set goals, track them. Right. And only saying that as somebody who's um, struggled to raise money in other professions and things, um, it's a lot of work. It is. So it is. Yeah, Jackie Becker. Any other comments or questions regarding the budget and Prairie Park? No. All right. All I can say too is. Um, I am definitely in the same boat of we definitely need to have some accountability on this. I do feel like we've talked about sponsorship a lot. So um, hopefully we can see some goals and maybe the beginning of Prairie Park is a really good way with that first um, open house to really start seeing some of our Lawrence community who might be interested in sponsorship and use that as our, our true kickoff as, or as the baseline kind of one of how we do sponsorship and our community and, and start seeing some really quick immediate involvement that way. If no other questions or comments, uh, we will move on to agenda item three, which uh, the idea committee uh, met a few weeks ago. And I would love uh, Pat and Amber uh, were along with me on this meeting and I would love for one of them. I believe Pat's going to take the lead and uh, talk about some of the things that we discussed and uh, put together while meeting. Yeah. Um, Jackie, were you able to send out the minutes that Gail sent to us, to everyone? Uh, Jackie Becker, no, I did okay. not. I guess I, I guess I assumed Parks and Rec was going to do that, but if that was on me, then apologies. No. I did not get that out. I guess I'm just talking to you because I, I didn't know whose role that is, um, but also the, um, the most recent draft that we created on idea plan, if that was also, also sent out or not. Um, is there any way to that I can, my screen can be shared that I could possibly pull that up or not? Yeah, you should be able to that. Okay. So I will try to share. Um, is it shared? Okay, sweet. So this is um, the update that we did and um, 
the last time that we all met, and that was, gosh, that was quite a, quite a few months ago. Uh, we recently met with Dale, who is the staff, staff representation. And um, I wanted to have this, um, everyone have access to this, because I think it's something that whenever we meet um, and we have things to make decisions on, I think this is really good that we look over this before making those decisions. Um, it, it poses some questions that we might not be thinking of. I myself don't have that filter all the time or that lens. And, you know, just as what we talked about tonight with this, the accessibility issue to the um, park, um, I think that when we look through this lens, we might be able to help catch some things or ask some questions before we make some decisions on some of the things that are brought to our attention. Um, is the whole document able to be seen? Yes. Okay. Because the last questions, um, and I think John, you, you brought this to our attention through Virginia. We, we kind of tweaked it a little bit. Um, what they are using as uh, their lens is they ask these questions, who benefits, who is burdened, is there inclusive representation, is there access for all, and is it a welcoming space, and who is missing? And we might have other questions that are pertinent to what's brought to our attention, but I think that these are things that might be able to catch um, some of the things that we normally don't think about. Um, so I myself are gonna try to keep this document um, close when, when we meet so that when we have people come present something um, or something's presented from staff to the board that we can have these questions in mind to ask. Um, so maybe um, this can be sent out to each board member, um, would be great. So I'm gonna also, Stop sharing that and bring on our minutes. We met a few weeks ago, um, Gail, Jackie, and Amber and myself. And what we were wanting to do is to kind of create some goals, um, short-term goals that um, not us as a committee, but um, Parks and Recreation as a whole. We'll take a look at um, when on a lot of things that we've already addressed and that are ongoing. Um, the first thing that we talked about, we felt was important is contacting the health department. Um, some of us had the benefit of listening to a presentation that really um, showed uh, some of the inequalities as far as our community. And it came down to longevity because of it. Um, and uh, it was a wonderful presentation and we felt that it was beneficial to any new board members as well as staff members to listen to this as well. Um, Jackie, anything else you wanted to speak on that? Because I know that it was a powerful presentation for you. Uh, Jackie Becker, Chair. Uh, yeah, it really was. And I know it's been a number of years and maybe we have some new census data. Maybe we don't, but... I think for both of our new staff and for our new board members and for returning board members that this would be just a really important uh, group of individuals to come and talk with us and share their programs, which really looked at the health and equity of our community and how it how diverse and different it is from different zip codes in our community. So, yeah, I think it'd be a good thing to share again. Yeah. 
The second goal, um, we felt that the Department of Programs should intentionally consider equity and inclusion issues in selecting program partners as well as board members. And Gail came up with some specific people that she identified right now, but um, wanted to take a look at all programs and just see if everybody's at the table that needs to be represented in our community and who is not, who is missing. Um, the third is public programs on the historic role of parks and recreation. Um, right now, the one we've been talking about recently is the history of the pool. Um, looking at our history um, brings into um, a lot of education as far as inequity and the history of it. And I think that education is very helpful as far as um, having that lens currently. So these were other partners that were suggested um, to, to bring in to um, parks and recreation as far as um, partnership. Um, and please, any other suggestions and ideas, we always are welcome to this. The next one is identifying obstacles um, to access and participation beyond the cost, such as transportation. And Gail did a, a study uh, that she sent out to find out what was the barriers, and she thought cost would be the greatest to the clientele that she was working with, but it came down to transportation. So looking at that, or housing, uh, food insecurities, as far as some of the barriers to participation, uh, identifying departments and resources, sources, funding resources, other city departments, such as the Lawrence Transit, as well as community park partners as a school system for the lunch program. That was another area that we identified that is going away. And that creates a great problem as far as inequity um, to uh, access to food. The last one that we we came up with, and, and again, there's going to be more goals, I'm sure, but this was to take a look at the fee increase. Um, that was something brought up with the budget, um, that there is going to be some increases. So we need to take a look at how to make that equitable. One idea was, you know, when people sign up to pay for their membership, pay for yourself as well as pay for someone else. So coming up with ideas on how there can be some sponsorship or um, ability for those that do not have the funds to have access to recreation. Let me scroll down. So the recommendations will be given to Lawrence Parks and Recreation Administration towards the goal of improving and then determining a timeline and designation of staff for each of these. And the we agreed that the presentation by the health department should be one of the first things to provide knowledge base uh, to direct the additional efforts. So let me stop sharing that and just open that up for any questions that anyone has. Or... Uh, Jackie Becker, any questions or comments from anyone? All right. Well, Pat, uh, thank you for sharing our presentation. And, uh, you know, obviously our first thing on the list was trying to get the health department to come on in and give us a presentation. So I'm, I turn back to you, uh, Parks and Rec staff, and I'm hoping we can get that on the books for one of our upcoming meetings. Jackie? Yes. Roger Stein brought up marketing. Um, Pat, 
was the copy that you sent to Jackie the same one that you had me send to Gail? Or has did it change at all? It had changed. Um, I okay. found yes. Can you email me the latest version and I'll get it to the board for you? Certainly. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. All right, appreciate that. Uh, moving on then to our next agenda item, which would be number four, the Aquatics Division update. Yeah. Okay, Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. Uh, just a couple things to update on the pool. Um, as of right now, it is full of dogs right now for the pooch plunge. So I know uh, Amber and I and Derek were out there earlier. I don't know if anybody else made it, but it looks like we had a really good turnout. So yesterday was the last day for the outdoor pool. And then of course, uh, tonight they will close it down after the dogs. Um, and so uh, today we reopened the leisure pool after being closed for um, cleaning the last few weeks, the last three weeks. Uh, so um, I think maybe after this, Mark can give an update on how that went, but um, just a couple fun things we were able to do. Um, last Wednesday, we had the adult swim, and um, I know I think Derek attended and uh, a few others did as well, but I think we got a pretty good turnout for that and, and really good feedback. So we're going to try to do more of that next year and, and work with Roger's team on um, making it more of an event and you know maybe add some other activities to go along with it. Um, but again, as Derek mentioned, we're trying to think outside the box and, and do more activities um, that we you know, may not have done before. So uh, that was fun and a great turnout. And then, of course, the, the dog swim tonight was kind of a fun way to end the outdoor season. Um, the fall hours for the leisure pool. Um, so starting today, um, the Monday through Friday, the lap pool will be open 630 to 1245 and then 4 to 730 p.m. And then the leisure pool will be open 1045 to 1245 uh, for warm water workout time. Um, Saturdays, the lap pool will be open 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And we will be opening the leisure pool on Saturdays from 1 to 5 p.m. Uh, it'll be the leisure pool only, no diving boards as of right now. Um, but they are looking to at least get it open on Saturdays. We're going to um, hopefully start doing birthday parties and things like that. So um, that was one thing we were excited to be able to offer. And then Sundays, the lap pool will be open 1 to 5 p.m. Um, we are going to also start swim lessons on Saturdays after Labor Day. And as far as aquatics, uh, that's really about it for programming. And I don't know, Mark, you want to jump into... Can I say something yeah, go ahead. about communications and events? Um, the, the website, I believe, the incorrect hours, lap <laughs> swimming hours weren't on there. It was miscommunication between aquatics and, and my office. So that has been updated. And so the hours should be reflecting that they're open. It was not as of this afternoon. I was done late this afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lori emailed me, I think, after you probably had brought it to their attention, I think. So. Mark Hector, Assistant Director. So the, the maintenance shutdown we do annually at the Indoor Aquatics gives us the opportunity to go through all the mechanical systems. So if you think about it, those pumps run 24-7 during the whole season. So when we shut it down, we have the opportunity to go through all the pump systems, the heating systems, all the UV uh, sanitation systems and actually pull everything apart and see how mechanically we're doing. 
And then we also do some really deep cleaning where we'll go in and do acid etching around the perimeters of the pool to get old stains off and just try to keep the place looking new. That's when we also go in and do restroom renovations and that sort of stuff. So it sounds like a long time to be closed, but we are always pushed to get done in the three-week window. But it, it's pretty essential to keep that operation going because those systems never stop running. So it all went well. So. <laughs> Uh, Jackie Becker, Chair. Lindsay, do you see at all if there uh, could be an increase in lifeguards that those hours could change throughout the fall or next year? Or are you going to stick with this and just focus on hopefully having full staffing for next year? Um, yeah, I think they're, you know, for right now, this is the schedule that they were able to come up with for what staff they have committed for the fall. Um, they are still kind of waiting to see how some of, you know, some of them are students and still kind of waiting to see how schedules fluctuate. And um, I think their, their first priority would be if, if we're able to get a few more staff, um, they would try to open um, both areas of the pool on Saturdays. So right now it's gonna be lap pool in the morning, but leisure pool in the evening. Um, I think the, the next step would be to try to keep both open. Um, and so I know that's kind of on their radar and then it would be to add leisure pool on Sundays. But again, it's it's all kind of waiting to see availability. And and again, even, even when you're looking at total number of staff, some of them are only available one day a week. And so it, it doesn't mean that, you know, we can completely open everything back up, but. Um, I'm constantly talking to them, asking questions and getting updates. And I know, you know, we're still getting applications in. And so it's, it's definitely high on our priority list and, and something that we want to continue to build on. Great. Thank you. Yeah. We definitely love to be able to see both sides of the pool open on the weekends. So yeah, John, go. Jackie, John Blasek committee. Hey, Lindsay, have you had any luck with the public schools? You know, we talked about that. Have you discuss that with them or teaching WSI in their swimming classes? Yeah, Lindsay Hart, assistant director. That did come up and I know we talked about it. I uh, spoke with Lori, our aquatic supervisor, and I know she had been in contact with them and I have not received an update back from her, but I can check on that and give a report back. Uh, I know they we had reached out to the school and, and had not uh, heard back. So I don't know, again, maybe if it was because it was summer and, and now that they're back in, in school, um, hopefully we can get in contact with somebody. But it is something that we're, we're pursuing and I know she had reached out to them already. John Blasek committee, thank you, uh, Lindsay. Hey, I'll be happy because I know those people, I can talk curriculum, I can talk phys ed curriculum how it can help their school as well as the community. I would offer my time if you need a meeting or if the aquatics person gets with them, I would be happy to sit down for you. All right, thank you, I appreciate that. Okay. Director of Parks and Recreation, just kind of a, a side note, what's going on in the community with KU, um, the Robinson Pools, um, don't think they're putting the water in them or they're limited use. So KU or OTC, the swim clubs or athletics are looking for some alternative space. I know they've been in touch with us and I've also shared um, the contacts with the school district. I don't know if they have any luck, but they're looking to need more water than get available. So, Derek, uh, Maryland Hill board member, they're not 
Schools are going to be closed. They're across Parks Recreation. That's what I believe. So, or they're unusable for um, KU Recreation. Okay. So, we have in the summer. I know that KU Swim works with us, and I think they're also hunting for space. But I know that the ROTC, maybe ROTC, and. I believe it's the KU Swim Club. It's also looking for water. They can have it, but they have to lifeguard. You can use this if you lifeguard. That's Jackie Becker. That's always the hardest part because most of us competitive swimmers don't want to, never wanted to be lifeguards. We just wanted to swim the laps, you know. So, uh, well, thanks for that update. Any other questions or comments regarding our aquatics division? Okay, thanks, Lindsay. Uh, moving on to uh, agenda item five, which is the skate park update. Do you want to start off and mark and finish? Sure. Uh, so I can um, give an update on the skateboard lessons, which is a program that we talked about when a few months ago when we had the presentation um, about the skate park. So we were able to um, get some lessons put together, and it's actually um, very popular. And so we're really excited about that. Um, so it's going to start in September. We're going to offer lessons Monday evenings at Centennial Park, um, and it's two four-week sessions, so starting September 12th. Um, we're going to have three class offerings to three different age groups. So we have ages 5 to 7, ages 8 to 10, and then 11 to 15. And the 8 to 10 age group already has a waiting list, and we're already looking to add a second instructor. So it's really exciting. <laughs> so we're going to hopefully if we can get a second instructor, then they can both work at the same time on the same nights, but then split into the different groups. Um, so anyway, it's it's been a great turnout and we're getting some really good publicity from it. I know there's been some really nice articles um, written about it already. So we're we're really excited about that and we will continue to, to build on that. And what about the relationship with the river rats? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know Justin was a, a big part of that. And I um I'm the the instructor is Josh Rooks, I think is how you say his name. And I'm guessing he was connected through Justin and, and how we um got that partnership together. I'm not exactly sure, but I know we have a lot of staff who were uh into skateboarding, and so we had a, a lot of people with some good connections. Oh. Um, but I know he was a big part of this, you know, yeah, helping us get this started. I went out there to that open house too. That was kind of cool seeing seeing uh, seeing people out Thanks. there. But I also take your board. I also talked to Justin, and he was so excited. You know, so excited about it. And you know how invested he is, and I wonder if we could increase his investment. <laughs> you know, in some in some way. Uh, and you know, he was talking about the potential, the improvements out there. And uh, I mean, it just sounded fascinating. Yeah. Mark, you're so, up. <laughs> on that, uh, Mark Ecker, assistant director. Last Tuesday, the city commission approved a donation of $65,000 for a bird ramp or a bird ramp for $65,000. So the Lawrence Skate Association raised funds. Just Chinese was one of the main drivers on that to purchase a bird ramp, which is 
yeah. 30 foot by 40 foot by 11 foot tall, basically a big up and back. So this is one that's not seen anywhere at most skate parks. So this is kind of an advanced level skate obstacle. So what they're gonna do is purchase the ramp. It's coming out of Germany. Once it gets here, they'll have it installed on a piece of flat slab that we're gonna provide. But the interesting thing about this is the city commission just kind of went, yeah, sure. No problem. So that's putting a piece of equipment in our parks that we don't have to pay for. So we're able to go in and level the site, put a concrete pad down, and then say, come on, bring your installers. So I'm kind of excited about this because basically it, it allows a new level of service that we haven't provided before, and we didn't have to pay for it. It's through a sponsorship partnership idea. So that tying with the CIP project that's on next year's CIP, for $250,000, I think we really have a chance to kind of keep yeah. jumping up on what we're doing with skate parks. So it's kind of fun. Uh, they're, they're, we asked them how long it takes to get a vert ramp from Germany. I was thinking, you know, we'll see this in three or four years. But he's saying 14 months. So he's not too, not 14, no, 14 weeks. I'm sorry. So he's hoping to have it here by the end of December. So we'll see. So that, that Johnny abandoned you. So that sounds really like you know, it's like there could be events out there. Mm -hmm. you know, so we'll need some space for people to sit and all that, all that kind of stuff. So this originally started as Explorer Lawrence looking at grant opportunities. So Explorer Lawrence is interested in this and bringing possible events coming to the city. So it's that level of, of obstacle that we can bring advanced level skating into it. So We'll see once we have it here and start programming it. Yeah, you know, when you were when you were get, uh, introducing the the partners at the city commission meeting, I was I was blown away by what the uh, was it the visitor center explorer Lawrence, but explorer the data the the way they really anchor these things, their events, and the data that they follow, and I could see them really getting excited about this if we're one of the few places in the region that has something like this. I think Colorado Springs is the nearest one that has a ramp of this size. Um, Explore Lawrence was ex looking into a uh, it was American Rescue Fund type, type of grant that afforded this to the state, so it's reaching a side of the state. But in that data, 30% of the visitors to a destination item must come from outside of 100 miles from the city. Oh. So you'd need a way to control that in an open free flow event. Yeah. There, it, it just didn't meet the criteria for the grant. Um, but this will be a, a huge draw in the city. And even our skate park is a huge draw in the city. People come here. They go visit our restaurants, they go downtown, they spend money here, and that helps us out with tax dollars. So granted, they may be driving them from Belton, Missouri, or Kansas City, or Topeka. They're coming to Lawrence to use our skate park. Really? Yes. And they've been doing that for a long time. And they probably just golf after. <laughs> Maybe. There, there might be a little friction, I'm not sure. <laughs> it depends. They actually get along amazingly well for occupying the same space, basically. In the design of the, the bird ramp and our location, it will be north of the skate park. We had to actually meet with disc golf and say, okay, look, 
this hole's kind of in the way. Can we move that over and move this over? They're like, no, we'll just thread the needle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a fun conversation. <laughs> two groups each have their own perspective of what was coming. So, Mark, do you want to discuss if budget is approved as submitted with the capital project, what that might uh, include for the facilities? Yeah, so um, Mark Ecker, assistant director. So the, the skate park addition is a, I think it's $250,000. Yeah, it's $250,000. So what would that would allow us to do is, is complete the whole south half of the, the skate area that we've basically left undone. So we've kind of built that skate park in phases. We did a phase earlier this year uh, that did about $40,000, but there's a third of it that hasn't been touched yet on the, on the south side. Um, that, and then potentially we can expand the footprint maybe down to the east down the hill. And then we may come back and see if we can light that bird ramp we're putting in because they won't have lights on it. Mm -hmm. So that'll be a community effort. We'll basically sit down with the skaters and go, okay, this is our money. We can't go over the number, but what do you want to do? So it, it'll be kind of fun. But that's what we did on the last version we did, but it was a long $40,000 ad. So this will be a, a little bigger piece. And Roger's time, our communications and events. I, I noticed out on social that they put out like a questionnaire. Uh -huh. They said this, you know, they're excited. I can see that in the social media posts that they have out. So. I think they'll have a design before we even start. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, this is Pat Phillips, board member. I just wanted um, to, to thank uh, the staff that was so proactive on an idea that came when we were getting some education on this vertical ramp. Um, that then it just came up, well, maybe we should have, you know, a clinic on it, how to use it, or, and then it morphed into, well, maybe we should have some skating classes. And so you, you have done that. I mean, you had that clinic for the day and you've got these classes available in a short period of time since that conversation. So I really appreciate that. Well done. Jackie Becker, Chair, I, I agree. Connecting all these dots is really important. Uh, the one question I have or would ask is, do we feel like parking will be enough in that area? And will the skaters know or people who are coming to our town know that there is also parking up top? And if we could make sure when we are getting things installed to just make sure people know that you can get to the skate park from two different parking lots. Mark Ecker, assistant director, that's a great question. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what the ebb and flow of the traffic is there. Right now, we're handling that parking lot on the west side handles the traffic for both disc golf and skate park and seems to be doing fine. Now, if we add another obstacle or popularity, do we have to increase the size of the parking lot? That'll be a great problem to have later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have capacity to go north of the parking lot. Again, we'd have to move a disc golf pole and maybe a, a missile that <laughs> yes, it's all movable. Great, Jackie Becker. Thank, thank you for that, Mark. Cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm grateful also that you did talk with the disc golfers. So that's you know, as we're learning, it's really important to make sure we listen to everybody before we make the decisions we make. So keeping them informed and and whatnot will continue to have success with skating and disc golf at the at the park. 
and all those cherries that are fun to pick too. Cause I don't play disc golf very well, but I definitely like your cherry trees. <laughs> Any other questions or comments regarding the skate park update? All right, let's move on to agenda item six, which is the Sunderland uh, grant. And our director of parks and recreation, uh, Sunderland grant, um, didn't know about it. One of the state commissioners shared it out as a link. Uh, the more we looked at it, we found it an unmistakable identity um, opportunity for us and in parks and recreation and in other areas with our community partners, Blackfoot Museum, Library, and others that may um, uh, do something with this or have an opportunity. So let me just go over, first of all, who is the Sunderland Foundation? Um, they seek to improve the quality of life in the communities we serve with attention to those populations with the greatest need. Their value statement, uh, the foundation is rooted in the Kansas City with a history of supporting capital building projects. But the foundation now also explores green opportunities in Miami its mission and values included, committing to building deaf and equitable communities, trusting organization communities and leaders to be the experts in exploring root causes and systems that create inequitable outcomes. Uh, the Southern uh, um, Foundation goes back to Lester Sutherland, is president of the Ashgrove Cement Company for 33 years. Uh, so been way back, been around for seven decades, uh, in particular around, uh, they try to fund projects Eastern uh, Kansas and Western Missouri. They, what areas do they fund? They fund higher education, human services, and the area that we're interested in is arts and culture. Some of the projects that have received funding uh, received $23 million in 2021. They, they're big grants that they provide, include Inglewood Arts in Independence, Missouri, Elma Zoo, and the Flint Hills Discovery Center Foundation in Manhattan, Kansas. So, under the grant application, um, Marilyn, I don't know if you looked at it or not, but I, to me, it looked like something even I could fill out. So that tells me this is the kind of grant I really like. Yeah, actually, <laughs> have completed an application with them that was fun. Nice. For just food. Nice. So their grant application requirements are awarded grants to registered 501c3 project organizations with a certain geographic scope or um, government agencies. Um, they've funded a few parks and rec that I saw in Manhattan. What areas of exclusion for the grants? They can't be used for annual operating expenses, programs, or endowments, sponsorship of special events, golf tournaments, banquets, etc. Um, so there's a couple organizations I know that are uh, looking at some opportunities. I think the Watkins is looking one for Grover Barn. And the library is working with Parks and Recreation as we look at uh, trying to do a shade structure between the parking garage and the library. Um, those are two that I'm aware of, and there may be others in the works that shared out with staff and let's get our ideas flowing and see if we can't get some good submissions into this organization. With that, I'll open it up for questions. Uh, Joe, yeah. 
board member. Um, so Derek, is it possible to connect this to a sort of enhancement, as I was saying in an email to you about the... Um, the impulse by that? Not that, the uh, sculpture at the uh, police Police, new police station. Has any? Have you guys seen that? Mm -hmm. oh, you gotta go see it. <laughs> I mean, it's really something. I I think it could be a destination. Uh, I mean, just, I don't know what kind, but it would, could be the kind of thing where people would go and have lunch. Over the, if we had a little park like. I do have an update for you on that. I was going to save it till the end. Oh, <laughs> but yes, I do have an update to some of the questions on what's going on around the. The uh, artwork at the Norris Police uh, Station. Okay. This is Marilyn Hull, um, board member. So when I was consulting, I did an analysis of this foundation and what they have funded over the last many years and the types of civic projects they had done. And uh, I've always thought that that foundation was potentially approachable for assistance in funding completion of the law fleet. Oh, uh, the things that you're talking about are smaller projects, but being that it's a cement company, it's where the money <laughs> came from, and the idea of pavement yeah. seems like it would resonate with them. And since the loop, we're getting close to closing in on the last sections, I think you could make a compelling, compelling narrative that this would be the capstone and right. they'd get a lot of publicity. The risk with this foundation, and when you write grants to it, is they, they have almost no guidelines, and you can't talk to anybody. <laughs> so it's it's a very um, high-risk sort of application process. With some foundations, there's a program officer, and you can pitch an idea, you can get a yay or nay, and you can send them a draft, and they'll say yeah or nay, and then there's this process with this is just sort of throw it out <laughs> and they have a committee of executives that either likes it or they don't like it um, so I think it'd be very important if some groups are considering applying to really think what would be the most strategic application to come out of Lawrence and what is the demonstrated need for the amenity right Yes, I agree. I think Grover Barn alone, um, earlier in the year, I saw an estimate of $3.2 million. It would take us approximately $80,000 just to have the building structurally sound. So then the question is what sort of data could you cite as to the need and future use of this? Like the project I helped just through this, that when they did their renovation two or three years ago. Um, it was, it was good from a grant writer's perspective because they had very compelling data that, you know, this is a good, highly demonstrated need. It's increasing over time. This place is overcrowded. It, 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 it. You know, so um, just having a big ticket item isn't necessarily the formula either. It's what would make a big difference in this community. Um, so, and I mean, I'm, I'm happy to talk with anybody else about that that wants to visit about it, but 
Um, I don't know if you if, this, if you really want to have three or four different entities in the city of Lawrence all submitting an application in the same grant cycle, because then they probably compete against each other. Mm -hmm. so, not knowing what you're going to do, just spin it on the wall. They may like that and not that, but they won't tell you. We don't like that. Yes, but what I always said when I was a program officer is if you submit multiple projects, you're you're telling us to prioritize which one is the top one rather than you guys right. prioritizing which is the top one. So Roger Steinbach's communications and events. And to your to that point, Marilyn, I know there have been other grants that we were going to apply for to the Kent's Health Foundation, but there were other organizations in the community that were going to and even the city commission said that we need to not put ours in, so we pulled those at certain times. So it does make sense to be more strategic. Uh, LMH has been the biggest awardee of theirs in recent years. I think LMH guided the multi-millions uh, okay. for one of their capital projects. Rebecca Smith, yeah. I believe is the name. Yeah. She might be a person to talk to. Jackie Becker, Chair, thanks for your insight on that. Uh, any other questions or comments regarding Sunderland? All right, well, we're gonna move on to item E, which is concerns of the board item of interest. So if anyone on, on the board has any thoughts or comments, speak up. Jackie, John Blazik, board member. Um, I've got a few questions. <laughs> couple from myself and three or four from community members that have asked me, uh, is the rec office still closed, Eric? Can you get in? Talking about, yes, you come to the door, you push the doorbell, we let you in, people come in that front door all the time. But it's still locked? Yes, you have to access the building by pushing the button and we will come let you in. But okay. Why do you want in and, and what services are you looking for from the administration building? Pardon me? What services are you looking for in the administration building? I just had community members say the door is locked. It's not very welcoming. They don't, they struggle with technology and they just don't have a people contact from the rec department. That's what I'm trying to ask you. Okay. Okay. Uh, Lindsay, are your, did your softball concessions get taken care of? Are you okay with that? Yeah, Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. Um, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking when you say did they get taken care of. I, I had you had a softball tournament early, and the concessions were closed. I think is what they told me. These parents, is that right? Yeah. So we yeah we had some questions come up about concessions earlier this year, and we do have a concession agreement with Sandbar, and um, we have met with them and spoken with them multiple times throughout the summer, and they actually have the ability to decide if and when they want to be present at our complexes. And so that's something that we're working with them to change. Um, and when we, we're gonna redo the, the RFP for next year for concession vendor, and we're gonna put in some better regulations as far as when we wanna make sure we have concession vendors there. So right now it's actually up to them um, and it's not necessarily dictated by Parks and Rec. 
but we are looking to change that for next year because we have seen some discrepancies where we, you know, ourselves felt like maybe we needed a better presence there. Okay. Thank you for that. Great. Sure. And, and the baseball people, Lindsay, must be pleased because I've not heard from them for a while. They've not, I think they must, you must got things taken care of there, their concerns. Great. Yeah. I, we haven't heard anything either. I know we, you know, we definitely looked into all their um, concerns and um, taken everything into consideration and making changes where we can. So that's, that's all good news. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, talk to me a little bit. Um, and I, is, is it Kent or not, not, not Kent's my next question, but talk to me. I read something in the paper and I've been on this committee going on six years and I've never, ever, ever heard this from Mark. When did Eagle Bend get subsidized 15%? I've never been told that. So there, can you, what was that? Why was that put in the newspaper? Because that's not what I've ever been told on this committee. I, I can go back to Mark Ecker, assistant director. So I think what you're hearing are the budgeted numbers. So when we budget, we basically golf course next year is, is budgeted at 84% fee supported, 15% or 16% tax supported. So when we budget, we always have that little bit of a factor in there for weather because Eagle Bank can swing uh, today's numbers, today's fees can swing anywhere from 1.2 million, 1.3 million down to 700,000, depending on weather. So we very seldom budget 100%, but like this year, we're doing great. We think we'll surpass the expenses. So that it, I think what you got saw was a budgeted number, not necessarily the actuals. So last okay. year, we, we were a plus number also. We yeah, I can, I can sure understand the weather, yeah. But I don't, yeah, okay, because I always, you'd always showed us on all the numbers that they always supported themselves. So, so if you don't use that 15%, did that go back in your general fund? And um, now again, it's a revenue target and an expense target. So they're part of the whole. So, you know, it, it goes into the nature center, the sports, everything goes into the total bottom line. So when I said we had $6.3 million of revenue, the golf course revenue goes into that total. Okay. Okay. So we, uh, all right. We, okay. we start looking at cost recovery about this time of the year and start yeah. looking at our expenses appropriate with our revenues. Okay, good. Thank you. I didn't know that. I mean, uh, is Ken on, the golf guy? You're talking about Kent Reddick, our recreation operations manager? Yeah. No, he's not. Oh, okay. I just, well, I guess I got a question for somebody, Derek. Um, and you know, I'm all, and I was with you, and I think you were on here, Derek. I know you were, when we raised pool prices. You know, that wasn't just a three month thing and make a comment, we're going to raise them. I, I told him we need to raise those golf prices, but we got to do our homework. I mean, there's people in this community that all they're hearing is you're going to raise it 30%. And me as a board member, I know the year it took a well over a year when you looked at pool prices before we raised them, maybe a year and a half. And is that going to be done with golf and anything else? Or are you just going to whack and stick it to the taxpayer and here you go? Is there going to be any background work by Kent on what other Manhattan, Emporia, what they charge for their golf courses? Or are they just going to stick it without any homework like we did with the pool? Can you answer that, Derek? 
they're doing a market analysis like they did with the pool on the fees. Uh, one thing that will be factored into this year's budget is dump expenses are going to be probably twice as much as they were last year. We're looking at probably an expense budget around $2 million because now we're getting charged for water. So 85% is going to be a big number. Why water? I thought the city provided that water for free. <laughs> um, we, do you get your water for free? The city's charging departments for water also. So the fill the pool, the water athletic field, to water the golf course is as is the model we're moving to. I'm gonna okay. Can I, I just no, that's accurate. And that's actually a change in philosophy over the last three years. So before the, the water was free for the golf course and the pools and the athletic fields. But as they look at the cost recovery on the utilities division, they're saying that, that we're providing you whatever millions of gallons of water at no charge. How do they account for that in their system? Sure. So, yeah, I, I, it's a, a big number. And it's kind of hard to look at. And the plus side of this is we're currently working on a CIP project. They'll take water, raw water out of the Clinton Lake Dam and it'll, before it goes to processing, it'll come to us. So once we get that project up and running, which will probably be next year, then we'll get rid of that water charge. So okay. basically it, it'll help us with our budget by doing a capital project. But it's a multi-million dollar capital project that will put a pump station over by YSC and shoot water over the golf course and YSC and the softball complex. Okay. Well, I, I knew it was a free. So thank you, Mark, for the clarification. I, I, I knew that. I didn't know they started charging. I think something might be good for you, Derek. I think you ought to advertise you're doing a market analysis because right now people, I don't, I didn't, was never told that. I just thought they wanted to raise it and not take into consideration. And once again, you got a guy that looks over your golf and wants to race it and then runs back to another town to live in. So talk to me a little bit about Derek and what I read in the paper about priority-based budgeting. Am I, do I understand this is what internal employees are saying? And are these the people that don't live in town? Is that what priority-based budget is? We had a firm resource X that worked with the city and the different department staff. So we started priority-based budgeting three years ago, four years ago. So we started reviewing that. Now, Mark, do you recall if we had any public input on any of that, or that's just been internal to the city? I don't recall. I don't recall. We, I know with the, the structure, we brought it to the board. I know at one point that we you know, got their buy-in into that the levels of where the different tiers brought down to. So, so you made a comment, public input. Well, the public's what pays for it. And I and I'm really I'd like to have this explained more next month. Why do we ask employees that don't live in this town to have a say what we need to determine our taxes? That's just a simple little tax question. And my brain doesn't wrap around that. You know that? But when you have six directors that go home tonight in their car to another town, that concerns me. So can I get a little more explanation from maybe the mayor or the city commission on why they do that and not have public input? Because there's nine or eight of us on this committee that pay our taxes. And we're asking people from the outside to determine that. That's called public input, I think. So, 
Mark Hager, Assistant Director, a little bit on priority-based budgeting. So what, what the priority-based budgeting does is basically aligns the budget with the strategic plan. So the strategic plan went through a pretty significant public process. And then what we had to do is say, okay, here's, here's what we're spending and how does that align with strategic plan? So it really doesn't have much staff input from our end. It's more us aligning with what the city is saying is priorities or city commission saying is priorities. So okay. when we look at that, you know, some of like the parks always hit mark, 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 mark. Some of the things that weren't hitting all the marks was like golf course and nature center. They ended up in a fourth quadrant, which is the ones that didn't really match up with a lot of things. So that's why you saw the nature center on the potential cutting block. Golf yep. course would have also been there, except for its revenue was producing about enough to self-support. If it was not self-supporting, it probably would have been discussed also. So it, it's not much of a staff conversation at our level. It's more us aligning with city strategic plan. So if, if we're not aligning with the strategic plan, the question is, why are we doing it? And that's what the city manager's been pressing with us. <laughs> and, okay. and it's a continuous question. And we have to answer that almost everything we're doing. Okay, that's a very good explanation. I didn't know that. I that that's good. And then my last one, and Mark, this is kind of do we ever do you ever discuss numbers on what our cost is for parks and keeping parks kept up and maintenance and stuff like that? What do we spend a year on all of our parks? Because don't we have how many parks do we have in town? Five hundred? We have four thousand acres. Uh, <laughs> So we have a lot of park properties, but next year's budget is about $8 million. That's for parks, forestry, landscape. Um, we do a lot of right-of-way management, so that's not really a park. So anytime you look at Clinton Parkway or East 6th Street or Iowa, we manage all those properties. So we probably manage as much off parks as we do on parks. So that includes all of those things, contract mowing for all those. It's a big number. It's the biggest number in our budget by far. But, really? Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it matches all of the recreation program put together. But that's what's been, again, priority-based budgeting talks about, you know, we're, we're pretty excited about open space, green space, park properties, open to the public, free to the public. So that's where it checks a lot of the boxes matching the strategic plan model. Okay. Thank you. Those are mine. Thank you, Mark, for that. That's, that's sure. good information I didn't know for the community. That's all from me. Thank you. This is Amber Nickel, board member. And I just have a request, John, if you might consider reframing how you look at the employees that work for our city. Because a lot of people can't afford to live here and work here. And it's really hard to employ people right now. So... You mentioned it a lot, and I think you just need to consider there's a reason for it. And that's all I'm gonna say about that. Thank you for your thoughts. Okay. Any other additional questions, comments, concerns of the board for this month? All right, not seeing any, we're gonna move on to the letter F, other, and number one is the rec division. So uh, Lindsay Hart, if you wanted to give a little update alongside the excellent attachment you sent out. 
Sure. Cool. Lindsay Hart, Assistant Director. Um, in addition to the report, I just wanted to mention a couple things. Um, last month, I talked about a grant we received uh, with the Child Care Aware Grant for our summer camps, and we um, had been awarded 18000 for the month of June. We actually got a second one, so that was really exciting. So uh, we were able to get a total of 36000 this summer for our summer playground camp, um, which covers staffing and supplies. So anyway, we're really excited about that and we will um, continue to do that if, if there's funding available next summer. Um, another, I just wanted to follow up on one other thing. Last month, one of the board members asked about our uh, summer camp waiting list and asked if we had um, participants that were out of county that might be taking up spots from um, those that were from Lawrence or in Douglas County. And so I just want to report back some numbers. Um, for the, the special POPs camp, we had um, a total of 51 campers this summer, and actually all of them were in the county. So there were only two that were outside of Lawrence, uh, but they were still in county. And oddly enough, both of them were in split households that actually still had one parent each in Lawrence. So for the special population, camp, basically everybody was in county. Um, for the uh, playground camp and the Prairie Park Nature Center camps, we had a total of 189 campers and um, only 12 of those were outside of Douglas County. Um, so uh, there were a few that we saw in that camp, but again, out of 189, we only had 12. So I uh, just wanted to report that back since the question had come up, um, but overall that's what we found out. And that was all I had in addition to the report you already have. Great. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, we'll keep moving quick since I know this meeting's going long. Uh, Mark Hecker, would you like to speak a little bit about the Parks Division? Yeah, let me update you on a few CIT projects. We have multiple things moving right now, and then we're working on some that will start happening this fall. Out of YSC, we're doing a pretty significant ADA sidewalk and parking improvement. So this is out through and around football and soccer fields. It's, it basically provides a, a walkable network or a wheelable network of, of sidewalks and, and connected parking spaces. So that's kind of exciting. It was supposed to be done by today. I haven't been out there yet, but I'm pretty sure they aren't done yet. So it has to get done here before soccer starts because we have the roads closed. Um, the trail from Peterson to Michigan, if you haven't been out there recently, we're almost three quarters of the way under the highway which sounds kind of weird because they keep blocking off a section, put a tube in and then they just keep moving. So they got have over half of it done now. Once that's done, the bridge went in last week. So it's getting pretty close to done. So that's kind of exciting. Uh, we're working on a trail extension up at the Victor Park. So we have uh, public notices out, letting people know that we're going from Stone Creek over to Legends. So this is a new segment that'll hook to a new neighborhood. So that's kind of fun. That'll happen probably later this summer. We have the PO cut and just waiting on kind of the contractor to get there. Clinton Park, we replaced the whole sidewalk along Fifth Street. It had ADA issues also. It had a little side slope to it, which basically didn't work well. So we took that out, replaced it, replaced the parking lot entrance. So that was a good plus. The outdoor courts, we're working on a resurfacing project that'll uh, redo the basketball court at Lions, the uh, basketball and tennis at Dan Perry, and then uh, what's the other one? Veterans. Uh, they'll do the tennis courts over there. So that'll be good. Uh, Lions Park, we're working on both the splash pad and the playground. 
uh, kind of two separate things working together, but as it comes together, they'll sit side by side. The uh, playground we sent out for bid, we have proposals. So we have, I think, six different proposals. We'll evaluate them, then we'll go over to the North Lawrence Neighborhood Association, see what they think. And quite honestly, we bid it to not to exceed $100,000. So all the playground manufacturers gave us their best shot for $95,000. So it's more pick what you like. So it doesn't have to do with money so much. The splash pad is, is trudging its way through the planning process. Uh, we got an engineer's estimate, estimate on it. It's substantially higher than what we had budgeted. So we're gonna look at how do we basically, it's about $200,000 off. So how are we gonna, are we gonna shift project money? How are we gonna do that? So that's gonna be a conversation here in the next two or three weeks to say, do we build what we say we're gonna build or do we wanna bring the, the package down to keep it in budget? Every CIP project we're doing is coming in substantially over budget. I'm talking hundreds of thousands of dollars over budget. So that kind of hurts when you start getting this time of year, you just, there's no pocket to pull from. So we'll keep working. Broken Arrow Shelter is another one. Shelter, restroom replacement of Broken Arrow. Um, we're not replacing the shelter, we're upgrading it, then we're replacing the restroom. That one is a $260,000 project. I anticipate it's gonna come in out of budget also. So we'll just keep working. But those are kind of the high talk, high things. You know, we talked about the indoor pool. We had that shut down. We'll be shutting down the outdoor pool tomorrow and we'll start to winterize that. So very, very busy. Uh, Jackie Becker, Chair, any questions or comments for Mark? Uh, thanks, everyone. I'm excited to see the uh, finished sidewalk workout at YSC because when I was out there playing kickball, I knew it wasn't done. So excited for that one. Uh, last but not least, of course, uh, Roger Steinrock, if you want to tell us about events and communications, please. Thank you, Roger Steinrock, communications and events. Uh, I first want to say thank you to my staff, Peyton, for covering the June meeting and Stephen for handling the uh, July meeting, uh, being gone for a month and a half, well, actually a month, or almost a month, and then coming back and then having to leave for another 10 days or two weeks in that respect. It wasn't fun. So um, I appreciate, especially Stephen, who had just come on board with my staff at that time uh, to take that meeting on and, and help out with that. Uh, we are currently um, going around to to other departments and the people that we work with in the right of way so that they can get educated as to uh, what they look for in right of way events and how we evaluate and also just building those relationships with the other departments, fire, police, uh, MSO group. Um, and then we're also working with outside partners, the Art Center, uh, Watkins, uh, we'll be meeting with some other groups as well um, in, in between evaluating and getting some of the right of events. And I'll, next month, I'll probably have a calendar for you that kind of shows what events are coming. Uh, we're also doing evaluation of, of special use permits in the parks that we continue to go on with until they close in October, October 30th to be exact when we close the shelters or winterize them uh, for the winter. Um, and I, a couple of things, I, I, when I was doing the minutes for the meeting last month, I know there were a couple of things that came up that I wanted to answer. I know that a board member had asked about responding to social media posts. We do uh, monitor social media. 
Uh, we have nine different platforms that we're responsible for. And so there's, you know, not only inboxes, but then comments that we do respond to and there are questions. Um, some of the, what I would call snarky comments, we, don't, we typically uh, answer some of those questions that are put out there, uh, but we do answer all the other ones. And I know a board member asked if they could post, you can be more than welcome to post um, on any social media platform. We don't discriminate from people posting. So please feel free if you'd like. Um, and, and if it's one of our posts, you can always inbox us and we'll get it, or you can email me if you notice something that hasn't been answered. Um, again, with that many platforms, the inbox that we have says, you know, this isn't monitored 24-7, so don't expect a response. We do have a delayed response on, on the social media side of things, so we do try to answer in a timely fashion as best we can. And not only from my office, we do have the um, communications group at City Hall that also oversees social media, so they're also eyes as well for me. Um, and there may have been in that month and a half that I was out, there may have been some things that were missed because at that point, part-time staff were, were basically monitoring that for me while I was out well, when I didn't have my phone and not supposed to be doing work, but did. Um, and then the other question was about swimming lessons and marketing of swim lessons. Um, the swim lessons, uh, this in the, in the, in since like when we started classes again, uh, swim lessons came later. And so in the summer, they actually were released prior after we'd already uh, basically started summer programming. Um, and they gave us about a week to market. So um, that's not a lot of time to promote, but at the same time, swim lessons do fill up classes, you know, uh, classes of only five. So it, it doesn't take much marketing. And to your point, I think, Marilyn, you were the one that were, were speaking to this. Um, yes, I, I am. I, I want to make sure that to me, swim lessons, I think Derek alluded to our conversation. My concern is the safety uh, aspect of swimming safety for kids in water. Um, and I just see that as COVID happened, we've seen a regression in, in that. So we've got to get people up to speed. And, and even this fall, when we release fall classes, uh, we haven't got the swim classes yet. And I know they're forthcoming. So they're working on those and trying to get instructors. So from a marketing standpoint, I don't want it to be that it's a marketing issue. A lot of it, I mean, some of it is, but at the same time, uh, we can get information quicker and get stuff out um, and promote them a little bit better for them as well. So I, uh, I hope that answers the questions from last time as well. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions or comments for Roger regarding events and communications? All right, uh, seeing none. I believe, is there a director's report then also? Okay, I didn't, I didn't see it on there. And I was like, wait a second. We, I saw holding your paper up there, Derek. So. Okay. Thank you, Director Director. I want to expand a little bit on the uh, Lions slash band. Uh, we'll be working on doing a community engagement. So there's all kinds of options, but we want to make sure that that is a, uh, a transparent, and, and engage with the public uh, opportunity on which way do we go on it? Do we downsize it? Do we defer it? Do we, how do we fund that? 
but you're going to have uh, multiple groups potentially involved and we'll make sure that we engage them. Um, I had another question about the uh, Lawrence Police Station and the artwork. They're having a ribbon cutting on October 21st. Um, Arts has installed two benches and there's another two have been ordered for that pad around there. So that's pretty cool. They're also installing pipe trees, fescue sod around the sculpture. Um, and the park manager wasn't sure of uh, landscaping beyond that or the kiosk. Part of the police station when it was uh, designed, I think it was supposed to be with native grass, so you'll see the color grass over there. Um, so that's what I have. I, I've got the world coming at me, so I'm open for questions. <laughs> Any questions from anybody on the board regarding our Derek's update? Okay. Well, thank you for all that, Derek. And uh, our next meeting will be Monday, September 12th at 5.30. So I know there was a little confusion this last month of when we were going to be, but Monday, September 12th for next month. And that looks like it's everything on the agenda. So I am looking for a motion to adjourn. Marilyn Hall, board member, I move we adjourn. Amber Nichol, board member, second. All, right. All those in favor, say aye or raise your hand. Aye. All right. Meeting adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye.